Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, listeners, and welcome to the latest installment of MBM's M&A Snack and Chat podcast. I am Brian Shaw, corporate partner in MBM's London office, and I'm joined, as always, by my colleague, Caroline Urban. Hi, Caroline. Hi, everyone. Hi, Brian. Hi. Caroline, would you mind reminding our listeners about what they can expect on today's show? Yes, absolutely. So on each episode, we catch up with former clients whom we've helped buy and sell businesses and other specialists in the M&A field who can share their insights and provide our listeners with hints and tips on the M&A process. The idea is that it's a short 15 to 20 minute podcast that's fun and informative that you can listen to on the go or while you're sipping your morning tea or munching on your afternoon snack. Speaking of which, Brian, what is your snack today? Well, today I'm, I'm, quite, I'm quite hungry today, so I'm, I'm lashing out. I'm having a Snickers bar. It's okay, I'm going to the gym later, but I need that energy. And Caroline, yeah. what are you snacking on? Well, I, I can't quite <laughs> compete with that, but um, I managed to get my hands on a traditional German snack. It's called Hanuta, and it's a wafer, and in between the wafer is a, a hazelnut cream and sort of chunky uh, hazelnut bits as well. You're always on these German and Austrian snacks. Need to bring well, some know, back when we can go back. Support the home country. I'll bring some Aussie treats next time. <laughs> anyway, enough about snacks. On with today's show. So it is with much interest and intrigue that we are joined today by Douglas Brown. Douglas set up Startnet Geomatics about 20 years ago, based in Livingston, Scotland, run by him and his wife. They secured some early stage funding uh, to push the business forward only to be bought out a year or so later by an oil and gas business in Aberdeen, which was PE-backed and called UTEC International. Douglas stayed on in the business and took some of his consideration as shares, which, as it turned out, to be very savvy indeed, as UTEC was then sold a couple of years later to Actian. He was made redundant a few years uh, after working uh, in this business, but was happy to exit and did so on good lever terms. Douglas is now a non-executive director and advising other investors and has spent his time off building a house and getting much better at golf, or so I hear. Douglas, it's great to have you on the show. Thank you very much. I'm glad to be here. Now, Douglas, just before we begin, um, you've heard that it's tradition on the show to be snacking on something. So what are you snacking on today? I am snacking on a coconut macaroon accompanied Mm. by a cup of peppermint tea. Gosh, that's um, exotic and much more exciting than what we were snacking on. But um, <laughs> um, thank you for sharing that. So uh, let's kick off. And um, I think it's good if we start with a bit of context and some background for our listeners. Douglas, tell us about the Douglas Brown journey. Um, it's certainly a, a, an interesting one and had many twists and turns. Tell us where you began and, and how you've, what your experience was over the years. I guess my journey began, my wife and I lived in the US, in Washington, D.C. for four and a half years. My wife was a diplomat with Special Projects Royal Navy. On a return from the U.S. in the mid-90s, I'd accumulated considerable geospatial knowledge and technical capability, which made me more productive in the U.K. So I spent some time with a previous employer, on my return to the UK, developing their geospatial arm, particularly focused on environmental engineering. So late 90s presented a chance opportunity with a friend who had previously worked in the waste industry, but now worked in the mobile telecom sector. I managed 
I, I guess, to secure a contract to survey multiple assets on mobile phone tower sites around the UK. That was the, the timeline where everybody was buying mobile phones and it was going gangbusters on mobile phone towers going up everywhere. And they kind of lost touch of where these assets were. So having realized that this was a growth industry, I approached my current employers about investing in this area. However, they did not recognize that this is a core focus. Therefore, I left September 1999 to start Starnet Geomatics from my garage. So I grew the business pretty much based on the success of mobile telecom communications and our services, which provided asset mapping for the sector. And again, we invested in new technology, laser scanning, which essentially scanned entire mobile telecom sites in a 3D point cloud, which allowed us to uh, essentially map technical and structural data to the nth degree. Mm -hmm. So soon after the utilization of this technology, I came up with the idea of developing an application which allowed the client to log in and remotely visit 3D scan data and view some of the processed data from the survey. So essentially creating almost like a computer game, but using real data. Mm -hmm. uh, this software was called iSight, and that was developed circa 2007. The 2008 crash was a challenge, and um, it was a challenge for everybody. And it was most likely due to everybody's desire to hold on to cash. So we needed to refocus to look elsewhere for revenue. And the only place we could go was oil and gas because they had cash. Therefore, we focused our innovation on Aberdeen's oil and gas sector. Although um, most of the development work for iSight had been undertaken for mobile comms, it was, I guess, reasonably easy to change our focus on oil and gas assets, which had largely been unmapped from installation in the 70s and 80s. The real problem was credibility. Being a newcomer in oil and gas was extremely difficult. Penetration into Aberdeen took us about two years. So without doubt, our innovation was key to success in the oil and gas sector. Fast forward to, to when you, you did sell the business. Was that in 2008? 2013, we sold the business. Okay. Please talk us through, through that process. Did they approach you? Did you approach them? What, what brought that about? I always knew that I, I wanted to sell the business. That, that was always the focus. Mm-hmm. Um, so this was uh, reinforced at the point when we actually developed that asset management software. So selling as a service provider is doable, but if you add software into that solution as well, that's always a good thing to do. I guess once we had penetrated the oil and gas sector in Aberdeen, we started to make inroads with Shell, BP, and numerous tier one companies, so thus making us visible to the sector and its players. Mm -hmm. Again, we'd struck up a relationship with numerous oil and gas service companies in that journey. One in particular was UTEC. And UTEC was a UK oil and gas survey company, but headquartered in Houston, Texas. So we had continued to innovate and took our data gathering techniques subsea, which was firmly in the UTEC domain. 
the interest in our acquisition came as a, a, a real surprise to me because I, I really, it wasn't on my radar at that particular moment. I, I really did think we were too early stayed. It was UTEC that contacted us and wondered if we would be interested in discussing this. So at the same time, due to, I guess, folk chatting in Aberdeen, we ultimately achieved three other notes of interest in Starnet, one of which was Action. So in essence, they found us. We weren't looking. Mm. That was a, it was a great surprise to me that we got that call because really our focus was uh, trying to innovate in the oil and gas sector. And that was where our focus was. That's so interesting. What would you say were some of the more challenging aspects of the sale? We heard stories that there were day and night negotiations and I suppose if you, well, how, how long did you discuss the sale before you went through to negotiating the, the terms? And then what were the challenges of, of those terms that were being negotiated? Well, if you go back to the, the very start of the interest, so to speak, uh, initially there was four prospective buyers. And Stuart Henry always says that's an ideal situation to be in because it's essentially a bidding war. Mm-hmm. But we still needed to do the beauty parade to all parties. And very quickly, we managed to get it down to two interested parties, which were Axion and Utec. This takes time and reduces your focus on the day-to-day stuff. Mm. Value in the business is always an issue. They want to pay as little as possible, and the owner wants as much as he or she can get. And this is a delicate negotiation because neither party wants to walk away particularly with the amount of cost and effort required to provide that information. So luckily, in my view, we had developed a good relationship with AMBM from day one. And we were acutely aware of the need to have our house in order because one day due diligence will happen and we didn't want any skeletons in the closet. Due diligence is a necessary evil, which takes resource, time, cost money and deflects your focus on growing your business. In our case, it was, I think it was probably about six months from start to finish. But you do need to keep your finger on the pulse of your business whilst this is all going on. Negotiations with UTEC were relatively easy with the assistance of AMBM and our corporate advisor, Craig Campbell, and our accountants. I mean, that team is crucial. Together, they guided me through something that was completely alien. It is imperative that you surround yourself in trusted professionals that have experience in M&A. I guess one instance comes to mind where the three of us had been at a meeting in Aberdeen with some of the interested parties. The meetings had gone on longer than planned as usual, especially with Stuart talking. (laughs) And we had missed the last flight back to Edinburgh. So we decided to hire a car and drive back. This is a three and a half hour car journey through the night. And that was certainly for me a defining moment on how much my advisor, Stuart and Craig, really cared about this deal. And yes, at the end of the day, it's about value and cash and deal structure, but it's also about the growth, the sacrifices, innovation, blood, sweat and tears, so to speak, that you've made throughout the years. And these guys understood that and treated it like it was their own company they were selling. It's very comforting to have that level of commitment and trust on your side, and I'll always appreciate it. What would your advice be to those listeners that are thinking of selling? What what do you look for in a a good corporate advisor and how do you find them? 
Building a company is a journey and you really need to get a team around you that can give you advice on that journey. I mean, I've made loads of mistakes, but if you, if you can get guys that know what they're doing early enough, then you'll make less mistakes and you'll be prepared for where you're going. That's my advice is surround yourself in good people that will help you achieve where you want to go. Actually, that quite nicely leads in, in, into my next point, which is always a huge interest. So you've, you've done the, the sale and you were still involved with, with UTech. You, well, you joined them basically as part of the integration of your business. Can you tell us a little bit about that? What was your experience and how well did your business integrate and what was your role in that? My experience was that uh, we were a very innovative SME always looking forward to developing new technology in the areas that we operated. Um, my experience was that they fussed too much about strategies and markets and integration and just should have left us to get on with what we were doing. As I mentioned at the top of the show, yeah, that you take a private equity back. How, how involved were you with the private equity side of things? Were they overreaching? How was that relationship? Well, initially, um, so once the focus on the deal with UTIC was w- well underway, I was issued a point of contact with, within UTIC, which was essentially the messenger for the UTIC board. A guy called Steve Rampton, who was a CIO, he was extremely good at his job and promoted confidence with the potential merger. And I thought that was a great way of doing it. You know, we, we'd, we'd put our eggs in one basket. UTIC was the focus for us. We'd, we'd committed and we had this guy who was our messenger, the guy that we spoke to, and he then went back to the board to say, oh, Doug's not happy about this, or et cetera, et cetera. That was a great thing. So early on in the due diligence phase, I happened to be in the US on business, and, and Steve arranged for me to meet Lime Rock Partners in Houston, who had significant control of UTEC. Um, this was a really good move as Lime Rock, instead of looking through a PowerPoint presentation, was given the opportunity to see and question firsthand the exciting innovation and potential for the two companies in the oil and gas sector. And meanwhile, my advisors found out that UTEC had had a few attempts at m which for one reason or another had failed, and that Lime Rock was increasingly frustrated at this and wanted to see success. Uh, that was Stuart and, and Craig that managed to find that little piece of information out, but that was absolutely ideal. Uh, the ideal piece of NTO, which gave us a little bit more comfort due to the fact that the UTEC board needed to secure this deal. Interesting. Yeah, I, I guess it's important to note that just because you're an SME and are a focus of a much larger cash-rich organisation, don't shy away from performing assessment of why do they want your company. UTEC sold to Acteon, so it must have worked out well for them in the end. How involved were you in that sale? Were you still in the same role when that happened? Yes, uh, I was very much involved. I was part of the team that secured the deal with Acteon. Um, if you remember, Acteon were keen on purchasing Starnet initially by mm. 2013, and they lost out to UTEC and now had decided UTEC was a target which would acquire Starnet as well. So it was a great deal for them. 
do they ask for for quite in-depth warranties from yourself given you you know you were kind of the brains behind the, the starnet is it how how did that negotiation how was that this is why advisors are so crucial. And if you've got the right people in your corner, then when it comes down to warranties, I mean, Stuart had his red pen out right through a number of warranties. Say, no, 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 send them back and renegotiate. And, you know, it, it's terrific. They will write down anything that suits them. Oh, we'll get away with this. We'll get away with that. Just saying, he'll sign that. If you've got the right advisors, then they can fight back for you you end up with a relatively standard set of warranties, which you quite happily sign. Stuart mentioned that you're now working as a non-executive director and you're actually advising other investors on presumably on some of the investments that they are making. How is it going for you? And are you finding that your your experience has been helpful in, in giving that advice? I joined as a director of a company that predominantly builds social housing. I've gone on board as business development director to try and focus the company in that area only, develop more sites for housing associations, build the company up to, say, 30 to 50 million turnover with good EBITDA and then sell. So that's my key focus now, and I'm trying to, to stop the other things that I'm doing, which are piecemeal just now. So that's where I am just now. I've decided to get back into the working game. And is it quite a, a different experience? Do you find that you, you have to learn a lot of stuff from scratch? Yes, actually I do. Um, so what I've done is I put my hand up and said, right, I'm going to go on this site. We have a site in central Scotland, 25 houses are being built for a housing association. So I've actually put my hand up and said, I need to learn how this all works. So I'm actually on site every single day learning how this all works. At the same time, uh, we're looking at how we grow and develop the business and set it up for, for the growth that we want to achieve. I think we're coming close to the end of the show, but it was so interesting to hear your story and also about your new venture. So all the best of luck with that. Thank you so much, Douglas. Mm. Um, It's been a real pleasure having you. But before we end the podcast, we have just enough time to do our rapid fire round. You will have 60 seconds to answer as many questions as you can in that time. So just say the first thing that comes to mind. So, Douglas, in one word or phrase only. On your mark. Get set. What was your first job? Draftsman. Favorite holiday destination? Greece. If you were having a dinner party and could invite three guests, alive, dead, or fictional, who would you invite and why? Eddie Van Halen. He was a fantastic guitarist. Mm-hmm. Robert Plant, because he was a great singer. Still is. And uh, Angus Young. I love ACDC and he's a great guitarist. Fun party. Uh, favorite movie? Independence Day. What are you currently reading? Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm too tired when I get home. I, I, know, I know how that feels. Uh, if Richard Branson sat next to you on a flight, what would your first question to him be other than, are you Richard Branson? Yeah. How much do you want to sell your island for? <laughs> And finally, if you could travel back in time to meet your 10-year-old self, what advice would you give him? I'd just let him find, I'd just let your 10-year-old self find your own way. That's good advice. Douglas, thank you so much for your time and participating in MBM's M&A Snack and Chat podcast. 
Thank you very much. So that's it for today, listeners. Thank you for joining us in our chat with Douglas Brown. Join us next time when Caroline and I will be joined by another special guest and we will chat and snack all things M&A. Goodbye, all. Goodbye. Goodbye.